Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. In the past, when you thought about wine from South Africa, what often came to mind was crappy Chenin Blanc and Pinotage. But as the saying goes, times, they are a-changing. Donovan Rall of Rall Wines is just one of a growing group of young winemakers from South Africa searching out old, high-quality vineyards to make the dynamic wines that are bringing South Africa to the forefront of the wine world. I sat down to talk with Rall and to taste his interesting wines. This episode of The Honest Pour is sponsored in part by Fooditer.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago's chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Fooditer.com. Hi, welcome to The Honest Pour. My name is John Lennart, and joining me today is Donovan Rall of Rall Wines from South Africa. Welcome. Thank you very much. Tell me about how you got into wine. I got, well, how I got into wine. Um, I started studying at Stellenbosch University, a degree in BSc um, Science with Psychology as an extra subject. And this university being in Stellenbosch just opened my world to wine. And after two years of studying that, I decided, listen, I want to do wine. It's fascinating. I mean, it fascinated me all the different things, the way, the artistic way of, of expressing yourself through wine. And yeah, I did that. I changed my course um, to BSc Viticulture and Oenology, and I've never looked back. And how long have you been doing it? Since 2008, I started my own project. Um, I studied for five years. I went abroad. I worked in France, worked in New Zealand, France again, Germany. Um, I even worked in, in retail in places like London, just to have access to the wines of the world, just to taste. Obviously, the culture of South Africa is different than anywhere else in the world. Truly unique culture you have there. How does that culture affect wines from South Africa, and specifically your wines? Yeah, I think South Africa is such a vibrant place, and there's such a incredible energy around it. And the winemaking that's coming out of South Africa at the moment just reflects that. You know, our country is so diverse. Our wines are so diverse. And if you want to make decent Pinot, you can do an Aramonis, Algin, places like that. If you want to make wines that are styled the same as the Rhone, you go to the Swartland. You know, the cultures are very different, but that diversity is not only in the culture, it's, it's, it's in the whole, the place itself. You know, it's, it's easy to express yourself in any way you want to. And there's no boundaries. Wine is clearly more than just a beverage. Yes. It's, it, it, it tells us of the people and the place. What story are you telling through your wines? You know, that's, that's a very important statement almost. And it's exactly what I want to do with my wine is I only want to show the place it's from. So, my Royal Wines project is based in the Swartland. There's a little bit of um, grapes coming from other regions as well that supplement some of the, the vineyards in the Swartland. But I just want to express the place. I want you to taste the wine, and if you've been to the Swartland, just get a flashback. Because that's just expressing where it's from. That's very, very important to me. So what's that like, you know, folks from the States, oftentimes they'll travel to to Napa Valley or Sonoma or even France or Italy, 
But they're not making their way down to South Africa or the Svartland specifically. No, well, sp tell me what it's like there. You know, I mean, most people would go to Cape Town. Um, I live very close to Cape Town. I love Cape Town. But if you drive into the Swartland, it's, it's a completely different scene. You know, it's, it's mostly wheat fields around you. I mean, Stellenbosch is beautiful with vineyards and, and, and mountains. Swartland is much more like, like parts of France, if you want to call it like that. It's not what you would expect, but it's, it's a place where, where winemakers can go and just experiment. What attracted to me, me to the Swartland was the group of people that were making wine there. The people itself was, was first, and then you found all these, these beautiful little pockets of vineyards that were either neglected or going into the cooperative system and just getting lost into very big tanks. So it, the Swartland to me represents opportunity for young winemakers like myself. And it's, it's almost easy because we're all working together just to promote this place. So, so is, it, is it fairly flat? Is it very hilly? Is it? It's fairly. I mean, you kind of you, yeah. you sort of compared it to the Rhone a, a bit ago. Yeah. Is is it like you know, those very steep hills up from the river? And uh, the, there are some some hills. Um, there's there's one specific called the Paderberg Mountain, which is great for Shannon. It has this beautiful decomposed granite soil. Um, you know, some of the oldest soils in the world. And you get very specific flavors from places like that, especially with something like Shannon, which is a beautiful translator of where it's from. And if you move 10 kilometers the other way, you have um, Rubik Valley, and that's more schist and, and sort of shale soils, much richer soils as well. Across the road from that, you have the Porch Lane Mountain, and there you have Slate again, um, which is five kilometers from the granite, you know? So for, for a young winemaker like me, it's, it's, the, <laughs> it's the place you want to make wine. And what, what's the climate like there? Is it very hot, is it cool? It is very, very hot. I mean, last year we had, in parts of, of Swatland, um, around the Paderberg Mountain actually, about eight inches of rain, I mean, the whole year. And most of the vineyards there are farm dry land. Most of them are bush vine, and there's a lot of old vineyards. So there's these cool old vineyards, but they were just all sort of going into big tank junk yeah, wine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I won't say, yeah, no, no one really really looked at the older vineyards being better than, than the younger ones, you know. Um, in that system, you could only be paid for the tons, not for the quality or the, 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 how old the vineyards might, might have been. So it's, it's, it's a great place for people like me to, to approach the farmers and to say, listen, I love the idea of that old vineyard. Can we please work it differently? And I can pay you more money for it because I can bet, get a better price for the wine. And together we can keep these old vineyards in the ground because that's, it's scary how many people rip them out because it's not sustainable. Yeah, so why didn't that happen? You know, if these, if these farmers were getting paid by the ton, you think, figure once those, those those vines start getting old and start losing their their their, their capacity to produce a, a bunch of grapes, pardon the pun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> why weren't they ripped out? You know, some people some people made good wine from them. You know, the form is that they need they need as much grapes as they could. You know, and and a lot of people could not possibly afford to replant. 
Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. So, but lucky for me, those things are there. You know, if, if, if I want to make the wines I'm making now and I'm planting new vineyards, I'm going to wait 30 years for the same quality. Yeah. They are there now. So young guys like me are hunting them down and trying to secure them and make wine from them. At the moment, I work with Chenin Blanc, mostly, in my, in, with the whites, a couple of vineyards. I work with um, Vidello, which is very exciting. It's not something that's very well known, and there's only a couple of plantings out, but potentially it can be something great. Um, in our climate, I work with um, some Vienna, I work with Chardonnay from, from Stellenbosch, and then a new project I'm working on is Grenache Blanc, and that's from a region just outside of Switzerland as well. Yeah. And then the reds? The reds focus on Syrah, some Grenache, and now also some Cinso. Because like we have old uh, Shannon vineyards, we also have beautiful old Cinso vineyards, which until a couple of years ago, no one really cared about. But now they're producing some of the most slightly esoteric, but some of the, the best wines in the country. So on the reds, you're definitely dealing with varietals that are hot weather. Yes, yes. I mean, Cabernet, I, I wouldn't plant Cabernet in the Swatland. It's, it's, it's just too hot. Yeah. You know, you, I, I'm after making wines that are fresh, wines that are slightly more elegant in style for the new world. And in a region like the Swatland, the only way you can do that is to work with the correct plantings and the correct vineyards. And you've gone out and found the farms that are doing that to source your grapes from? Yeah, um, I've, been, I've been at it since 2008. You know, I, until every year I add, I add a couple of new vineyards. You know, the, the, the tons I do from these old vineyards aren't, aren't much. You know, some of them are half a hectare and they bear one ton. Some of them are two hectares and they bear four tons. So it's easy to absorb, just to absorb new things into the project. How much wine are you making? At the moment, raw wines are just over 20,000 bottles. Okay, so not, not huge, but no, not a fair huge. amount. Yeah. I mean, in 2008, I started with just a white blend, and I was a full six barrels. <laughs> yeah. You're a little higher than that now. Yeah, a little higher than that. And do you have your own facility? I rent facility space in the Swartland, um, which I share with, with another winemaker friend of mine. And yeah, in the future, if I found the right little piece of land, I would, I would probably purchase it, but I'd still be sourcing from different vineyards around it. Because if, you know, Syrah on schist and Syrah on granite is different. Sure, yeah? sure. And I like the diversity. When it comes to your vinification, are you inoculating? Are you do anything out of the ordinary? Are you, are you a natural guy? Are you using <laughs> sulfur, not using sulfur? Yeah. As far as inoculation, no. I've, I've, never, I've never done any inoculations. You know, if you're trying to show people where the wine's from, and that particular vineyard has yeast on the grapes for a reason, right? Yeah. why would you take it away? Sure. You know, why, why would you wipe it off and start over clean? It, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. So no, I've never inoculated. Um, I don't acidify. I'd rather pick vineyards in different, in different picks. So I would have one very, very fresh one, almost like, like base wine from Shannon, um, just to have good acid. 
to blend with later. So no acidification, no new oak. None? None. No new oak at all. Okay. Um, I prefer working with older oak. I prefer working with, with bigger barrels. I prefer working with concrete over stainless steel most of the time. And so kind of an old world approach there, huh? Old world approach. We, we're even starting to use some locally produced amphora. Oh, cool. Yeah. So clay, clay from the Cape. Any sulfur? Um, I do sulfur when I need to. You know, if, if, if I'm working with a nice old vine, vineyard of Shannon, with a natural pH of 3.1, I need almost no sulfur. The way I make the wine is quite oxidatively anyway. So I'm not trying to keep oxygen away in the beginning. All right. It, it, it helps with the texture of the wine and it helps the fermentation. So I would add some sulfur if it, need, if it needs to be, but yeah, there's no recipe for me. And that, I'm sure, helps you keep the expression of the, the terroir. Yeah, yeah that's, all, that's all I want to do. You know? I, it's, that's all I want to do. I mean, the less I can do in the cellar, the better the wine's going to be. The less I have to interfere with it, the more it's going to reflect where it's from. And that's what I want to do. What are you doing to sort of overcome this old idea that, oh, South Africa, it's nothing but Pinotage and crappy Shannon, you know? <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing to overcome that? It's difficult. I mean, the U.S., I think we have about 1% of the market share in the U.S. And around the world, we're making great strides. And people are really starting to catch on that we can produce wines of really high quality, but at a fraction of the price you would pay in the classic regions. So the only way for people like me to, to get the wine out there is to do this, to be, to be in the US, to let people taste the wine, to tell my story. Yeah. And we've, we've got really support, very, very good support from, from distributors and from agents all around the world. I mean, they're all foot soldiers for the South African wine industry. You know, and slowly but surely, we, we're getting there. So tell me, what wine do you make? Okay, at the moment, um, there's a new project um, of Grenache Blanc. This is from a region called the Pikeniersklof, which is about three hours from Cape Town and very difficult to pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's ungrafted vineyards, which is quite rare for us. There's a nice elevation in the Pikenish Cliff of about 600 plus, depending on where the vineyards are. 600 plus meters. Yeah, above sea level. Can go up to 700, 750 even. And I found this Grenache Blanc vineyard and I've been experimenting with it for, for quite a while. And then since last year, I've started producing it as a single varietal bottling. I've tried to, to do something different with Grenache Blanc. I mean, there's a lot of Grenache Blanc I don't enjoy because it's too big. There's no acid. Yeah, right, just sort of this yeah. big showy fruit. That, yeah. That. yeah, and this site is so cool and, 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 and ripened so much a little bit later that, that I just thought, Donovan, yeah. just try and do something, something fresh with this. I mean, make a wine that you can, you can, you can approach early, you, you, you can match it with something that's really pure, you know, things like oysters and, and, and sushi. I don't make Sauvignon Blanc, so so this... This is your Sauvignon Blanc? <laughs> yeah, well, I won't, almost won't say that, but but I think that the idea behind it and just the freshness of it, 
that's that's what I wanted to do with, with this particular one. And then you make a Shannon, yeah? I make a blend of Shannon. Um, it's it's mostly old vine Shannon with some Vidello, some Chardonnay and some Viognier. And then I do a new project along alongside the Grenache Blanc, which is a Sunso, um, from older vineyards. I think it's about 34 years old now. That I try also to make in this almost like a Morgon style. Yeah, Sunso, yeah, Sunso can be can be such a, a, a fruit-driven, pleasant wine, you know, with a little bit of stems as well. Um, well, actually, 100% whole bunches. Mm-hmm. And then I do something a little bit more serious with Serai and Grenache, um, the two blended together. What do you mean by serious? Just a little bit more complex. Now I keep it in barrel for almost two years, um, always at least 18 months, whereas the Grenache Blanc and the Sunso go to market quite quickly. So they kept in barrel for about seven months max. Um, there's a skin ferment portion on the Grenache Blanc as well. And then I also but use... But that has some complexity to it, yeah? Yeah, because, because I'm picking it so early, um, the wine is very lean. It's, it's, it's super focused. And that little bit of skin fermented Grenache Blanc just just works very well with the other component. Cool. Just gives it some texture. Why don't we taste some wine? Yeah, that'll be great. So what are we starting with? Starting with the Grenache Blanc. Um, like I said, from this region called the Picanius Kloof. The idea behind this wine is just to capture that freshness, to capture that sort of real zippy energy the Grenache Blanc has if you pick it quite early. Mm-hmm. And like I explained, that sometimes if you're picking stuff that early, you just need some more texture in the wine. Early is when for South Africa? For South Africa, um, you know, these varieties in these regions you tend to pick a little bit riper than, than usual. I mean, picking each lift's a little bit later than, than the rest because it's, because it's higher up, um, but that's in the beginning of February. Beginning of February? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So, um, like I said, whole bunch pressing. Um, a little bit of skin contact, yeah? A little bit of skin contact on, on maybe 50, almost 50% of it, actually. I fermented on the skins for a week like a red wine. Um, and then I, I, we don't press it. We, we just drain it mm-hmm. um, because you don't want all that phenolics. Um, and then this is aged separately in, in a 400 liter barrel, old 400 liter barrel. And it's, it's, it's funny that that component almost has this nose of, of muscat. It, it, it's incredibly intense. And the other component, which is just fermented dirty in the concrete egg, that just has this beautiful zippy pureness to it um, and an incredible freshness almost like a touch of green yeah. yeah yeah and then the two of them together yeah i think it works well yeah it's really pretty um a lot of tree fruit but then there's almost there's a there's a citrusy acidity to it mm-hmm. mm, that's lovely great great weight good mm-hmm. texture yeah you spend any time on the leaves um yeah i mean in, in the concrete egg it spends all the time, time in the egg on the leaves yeah all of it. It's not super creamy, but there's a bit of yeah. Lift it's just just on. a little bit of, of. I mean, it need it needs a little bit of texture. I mean, I, I love having my wines with food. I mean, mm-hmm. I I recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> just just and, and because that's that's the way I drink them. And you need a little bit more texture mm-hmm. if you're matching matching up with some food. What's next? Next, um, we'll have the royal white. 
So they're all white. It's a blend of Chenin Blanc, Verdello, Chardonnay, and Viognier. Um, it's the first wine I ever made under my label. It's still the same blend. What, what, wait, what was the blend? You know, that, that's an interesting story. Um, I knew of these four vineyards. I thought, okay, well, I want to make wine from these four vineyards. And I made them separately, not with the intentions of blending it. So I had a Viognier, I had so Chardonnay. So you, you set out to make four wines? I set out to make four wines, see what happens with these four. It's my first vintage. I have nothing to lose. And I made the four, and the four came out very, very nicely. I mean, I, I was happy with, with what I had in each variety because each gave me this really individual sort of character. And the one had beautiful acidity. The other one had this lovely floral notes. Um, the Chardonnay just had this finesse around it. And I just thought, okay, well, let's see what happens if, if I play around with blending it. And it was only six barrels, so the first one I did was just to throw it all together. And the level of the wine just went up by at least 50%. And I said, okay, well, I mean, I, well, I have... Did the idea come out of just let's see what happens when I put all these together? Because I like the components of each of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, at that stage, I've, I, have friends, I had friends who, who made sort of Mediterranean-style white blends. That was never my intention. Um, when, when I had these components, especially not them together. You know, if, if, if I were to think of blending something, it would have been the Chenin with the Viona maybe, or the, the Vidello with the Chenin. Um, but to add the Chardonnay and something else to that, it, it was not my intention, but it, it just worked. And now, I've stuck with this blend since, since then. So do you, each year, do you let the vintage sort of dictate what the blend is going to be or are you consistently trying to make you know like 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 a non-vintage champagne where every year they're trying to make the same thing and it's up to the winemaker to make that same idea or do you like i said do you let the vintage sort of dictate what your wine's going to be from your no, year? the vintage the vintage definitely dictates the the percentages you know i want some matter of consistency but i still want it to reflect the vintage so if i need more freshness, I would add more Vidello. If, if I need more texture, I would add more of the Chardonnay. Yeah, it's, it's, that's the only thing that dictates what it's going to be. I've, I've tried playing with some other varieties to add to this blend, things like Roussan, Grenache, Blanc as well, to, to the Royal White. It just doesn't do it. It just doesn't do it. This wine wants to be what it wants to be. Are you attached to this wine particularly because it's your baby, it's the first one, or...? It is. I mean, this, this is the one that gave me a shot, you know. This was the one I put out there for the very first time, and... It's like the first one you sold, huh? Yeah, it's the very first one I sold. Great. And what vintage is this? This is 2015. Great. So it's, the first vintage was 2008. It's got a subtle but elegant nose. It's a little bit of minerality to it. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the old the old Shinnin. The old vineyard of Shannon, I mean, that's all about the morality. And how old is the Shannon vineyard? Um, this year it's about 42 years old. Mm. I mean, when, when you have that component on its own, it's just super focused. Mm. It's just almost Loire-like. Yeah, it's got weight, it's got bright acidity, it's mm. got like yeah. all these different things coming to it. Yeah, you know, and, and no, no varietal 
note sticks out to me. It's just, it's just things that, that I want in my wine. I want minerality. I want fresh, fresh acidity. You know, I want texture. I want weight. And each of these varieties gives me those components to work with. They're all white something that, that ages really well. You know, the, this is 15, and I mean, the wine is beautiful at the moment, I think. Because 15 was an incredible vintage for us. Was it? Yeah, if you make wine the way I do, 15 was, in the last 10 years, is probably the best vintage. Everything just worked out perfectly, nice. perfectly. And how, how does it age? Have, have you gone back and tasted the eights? And yes, I, I do verticals um, all the time. You know, at the moment, I'm loving the 2009. 11 also at the moment showing really, really well. 10 was a, was a, a hotter vintage, so it's evolving a little bit quicker than I would like it to compared to the others. But yeah, if, if, if you age this wine, it's just gonna get more textured. You're gonna have some sort of almost like anise licorice um, flavors on the nose, very creamy textured, almost like nougat, you know? Honey nougat. You, uh... You'd, you'd made a comment earlier about um, your wines maybe having a bit of oxidative quality. I'm not finding that at all. Yeah. I'm not finding. I was expecting kind of you know like that Jura kind of yeah. thing. Or. No, no, not at all. What I what I meant with that was um, while I'm making it, I I don't I don't sparge of nitrogen and I don't add sulfur if I don't need to add sulfur. But these varieties take oxygen on. I oxidize the juice, but in the end, it produces this sort of very clear. And how, how, are, how, are, how is the color holding from the older vintages? I mean, they are, they are obviously much, um, much deeper at the yeah, moment. I mean, it's, it's still not, I mean, if, if, if you work that way, if you don't, I feel if you don't keep the oxygen away throughout its lifetime in the barrels, then the wine sort of gets used to the idea of oxygen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's usually when you when you when you try and keep it away completely. Now you've bottled it. Now you open the bottle and it just gets a whiff of it and it it oxidizes quite quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, these wines usually after bottling, take one off the line, have it that that same night, and then half a bottle I just stick in the fridge, and I see over the next month how it progresses. And the first couple of weeks is no real difference. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh. So they will age. I mean, I would go far as to say they'll age as well as the Royal Red. Super pretty, complex wine. Absolutely delicious. Thank you. Uh, what's next? So next is the, the Old Vine Senso. Um, this new project I'm working on. This will be the second release. Last year was just, um, it, was, it was two barrels. This year the vineyard gave a little bit more, so there's almost a thousand bottles. You see very light, light in color. Really pretty, delicate color, yeah. yeah. You know, to me, I mean, you, you can't taste the color. So the, no. the, the color, it could be much lighter than that. Um, like I said, fifth, uh, 16 was a very concentrated vintage. Um, it was a very hot vintage, so there is more color than usual. More color than this? Yeah. Okay. Um, what I'm trying to do with this wine, I mean, like I said, I, I love wines like, like Morgon. I mean, I, I love things like Frappato. 
I mean, wines. So we're just looking at something that's going to be fruity and yes. fresh. Yeah. It's, it's it's fruity and fresh, but with 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 the older vineyards, um, you get quite a bit of complexity actually, even though it's lighter. You know, I don't want to try and make a Syrah from this. You know, this is Sunso. Sure. It, it should be. It's, I approach it much more like one would approach Pinot Noir. Yeah. I want it to be light and fresh. Um, is Sunso kind of a, a, a grape built like Pinot Noir where it's delicate skin and... Yeah, very, very delicate. I mean, not a lot of color in the skin. The berries are massive. They're very, very big. Um, because of that, uh, I still want some tannin in the wine as well. So that's why I do 100% whole bunch fermentation on this wine. Starts out with a little bit of carbonic as well. At the, I was just going to ask about that because it's yeah. got that super fruity kind of, yeah. yeah. almost candy kind of nose. Yeah, no, I picked this quite early as well. So alcohol's usually 13 or under. Mm-hmm. Okay, nice. And it's, yeah. But it's got, it's fruity but not too fruity on the nose. There's a... Like a little spicy, almost black pepper, maybe? Yeah, I mean, that's the stems. The stems give you this, this sort of really spicy, peppery note, actually. Mm. That's a drinker, huh? Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to do with that. You know? And <laughs> you mentioned the tannins. Usually, you know, a wine like this sometimes could just be all like this in your face fruit and then it just sort of goes away. But yeah. there's a little bit of papery tannin in there yeah. on the front of the teeth. And yeah. You're working with all the vineyards, so I mean, it's it's going to be more complex. This goes in the old wood as well. This goes into the oldest white wine barrels I could find. Um, so I think they were two thousand and eight or nine, mm-hmm. and I want absolutely no influence of oak in this. I wanted to to age in barrel because I wanted to breathe a little bit. But you don't want any. I don't want any oak. I mean, it, it's such pretty delicate fruit. Mm-hmm. To, to add any oak to that will just destroy it. I'm surprised at the length of it. It just keeps going. I mean, again, the fruit, typically with a wine this light, that it's gonna, you're not going to have that kind of length. And yeah. this is a great like summertime porch wine. Yeah. Barbecue wine. Exactly. I mean, it's it's the wine. I mean, I don't want to drink a glass of it on, on a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> mm. And I mean, really pretty. I think. I mean, we we have the we have the vineyards. To produce things like these. I mean, there's so many old Sunset vineyards scattered all around the winelands. And not everyone's found a home with someone like me. So you'll see in the future, Sunset from South Africa is going to become quite a big thing. Are there, are there, are there an, influ- an influx of sort of young winemakers like yourself in, in South Africa coming in to to find these old gem vineyards that are, yes. you know, we're just making wines to make a lot of fruit and no one really cared about the quality, but there's quality in the fruit from these specific sites. So yes. are there guys like you searching them out? Like, uh, Yeah, we, we are. And, and a lot of a lot of the time we work together. You know, if, if I find something something new, but it's it's five hectares, I mean, I can't absorb that into to my small sure. project. But, I mean... I have a couple of friends. I can just phone up and say, "Listen, guys, I found something potentially very interesting for all of us." So it's it's five hectares. Would each of you want one? And we work together. I mean, that that also gives you the opportunity to to work together and 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 sit around the table and taste the wine and say, "This is what we did right or wrong. This is what we need to do next." Particularly when it comes to the Senso and the Grenache Blanc, uh, were those were, were those Grapes 
traditionally grown in Svartland, or are these pockets of like odd little growings? No. I mean, Senso has grown a lot in Svartland. Yeah. I mean, there's some plantings in, in, in Stellenbosch, there's some plantings in Spikinius Cliff. It's, it's, it's one of those grapes, it's just, it's always, it's always been there. But it's not always been seen as something exciting. It's only the last couple of years when the sort of uh, lighter wines became became more came on the scene. Sure. Yeah. And now we're lucky enough that we have old vineyards, all of these, just yeah. sitting there waiting. Yeah. Ten, fifteen years ago, you had a hard time selling this just because yeah. it didn't yeah. have that big oomph everyone was looking for. Exactly. Exactly. But this is this is definitely a wine of today. Yeah. Yeah. Very contemporary, I think. And then what's what's last? The Syrah. So last is the Syrah and Grenache. Um, it's a blend of 75% of Syrah, grown on schist, and then 25% Grenache that's grown on granite soils. And the Syrah, I do 50% whole bunches, and the Grenache, like the Cinso, I do 100% whole bunches. Okay. Yeah. And Grenache on, uh, on, on, on granite gives you this very light, bright, almost like a pomegranate profile. Whereas the Syrah on, on Schist again is so purple and dark and sort of almost dark olives. And this and, definitely doesn't have that dark uh, Aussie no. uh, kind of thing or any New World look to it at all when you think Syrah. Yeah. Just by looking at it, it it's definitely doesn't have that super blue color that goes on. Yeah. It's yeah, You can almost read through it. Yeah. We're very pretty, almost a delicate, for, for Syrah, delicate. Yeah, well, I mean, color. my wine's almost inspired by, um, especially these, is inspired by the wines of France. And I love drinking Hermitage, Crows, Hermitage, Cotro Tea. I yeah. mean... Who doesn't? Yeah, these, right? <laughs> these are the wines I'd have every day if I could. Um, so when I worked in, in Hermitage, there was these pockets of of grapes that came from slate on, on sort of the hill of Hermitage. It's beautiful old slate um, soils. And when I came back to South Africa, I went around and I looked for Sarah that was grown on slate because that's what I was trying to make. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we have a different expression of it, but, but that's the inspiration. You know, what I want to achieve with this one is something that can age for, for 15, 20 years if it needs to. So in the beginning, it will always be a little bit bigger than it's going to end up being after a couple of years in bottle. And I, I, need, I need these tannins to, to eventually help the wine become what it needs to be. Well, Donovan Raw, Raw Wines, it's a pleasure to have you here in Chicago, up from uh, Cape Town, and uh, your wines are fantastic, and I look forward to uh, tasting them again in the future. Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, it's, it's my first visit, and I mean, what a time to be here. Great media. My pleasure. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpourpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Pour with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Pour with John Lennart and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Pour. This has been The Honest Pour with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thank you.